Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program provided by Living Stream Ministry. During his ministry, Witness Lee emphasized the experience of Christ as life and the practical oneness of the believers. He was unbending in his conviction that God's goal is the body of Christ. Through his messages, he stressed the importance for us to grow in life and to function as Christians so that the body can build itself up. We're happy to bring you recorded portions from his ministry today, along with some of our own thoughts. And we welcome your comments and questions. You can reach us toll free at 888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Now let's join today's program. Each of the four gospels in the New Testament gives us a detailed account of the crucifixion of Christ. The account in Mark chapter 15 gives us a vivid picture of the persecution that he suffered at the hands of the religious leaders, as well as the judgment that he endured on our behalf by the righteous hand of God the Father. Begin reading in Mark chapter 15 and verse 16. And the soldiers led him away within the courtyard, that is, the praetorium, and they called together the whole cohort. And they clothed him in purple and wove a thorny crown, and put it around his head. And they began to salute him, Rejoice, King of the Jews! And they beat his head with a reed, and spat at him. And kneeling down, they bowed before him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple, and put his garments on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a certain passerby coming from the country, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to take up his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is interpreted the place of a skull. And they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, and divided his garments, casting lots for them to see what each should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And there was an inscription of the charge against him, inscribed, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was counted with the lawless. Well, we will continue uh, and read more of this chapter as we enter into our fellowship and discussion of it today. Bill Lawson is here. Bill, we've come to this point now in the life study of the Gospel of Mark. You know, it's interesting. Each gospel has a detailed account on this point. Each one is maybe slightly different emphasis, different points that are brought out, but there's never a reaching of the end of our appreciation, uh, nor should there be of this portion, is there? Of course, uh, this passage, regardless of which of the four Gospels we read from, are all connected to the prophecy from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Chapter 53 speaks concerning these very same points, and really, to get the picture quite fully, it's good to add uh, Isaiah, isn't it? It really is. Isaiah talked about the Lord being a sheep led to the slaughter the sufferings and persecutions and what he went through. Then when you get into the details in, like Mark, you really see the fulfillment in detail of what those Old Testament prophets spoke about. 
Billy, the Lord spent six hours in total on the cross. Using our clock, it was uh, from 9 o'clock in the morning until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And this six-hour period is very specifically broken into two equal portions uh, in the account. We'll read a bit more now from Mark 15. Uh, But we want to see that the experience that the Lord had during the first three hours on the cross differed greatly from his experience in the final three hours. And this distinction should not be lost. This is very critically important, isn't it? That's right. All right, let's read a little more now. Uh, We're at verse 29, if you're following along. And those who were passing by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him with one another and said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reproached him. And when the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is interpreted, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those standing by heard this and said, Behold, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with vinegar and putting it on a reed, gave it to him to drink, saying, Let him be. Let us see if Elijah is coming to take him down. Let's join Witness Lee, and then we'll come back to have some more fellowship. Uh, don't forget the chief priests and thrives, uh they were the main components of the great council of the Jewish nation, which was called Sanhedrin. They were talking one to another in a mocking way, saying he saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. You see, thus far, listen, from the time they uh, began to bring him to the uh, place of the skull, of course they did a lot, marking, blaspheming, whatever they did, was something you can consider as persecution, including the crucifying, the kneeling him to the cross. This is man's doing. This is not God doing yet. His persecutors did a lot of things upon him, but from verse 33, it says, And when the sixth hour had come, sixth hour is today's noontime. When noontime had come, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. Darkness came. This was not under the human hand. No human hand can render such a thing. Darkness came. This was God's doing. This indicated that God came in to judge the one hanging on the cross. You see? From 9 o'clock a.m. till 12 o'clock noon time, three hours. That was the time for man's persecution, for man's doing, for man's mocking. In those three hours, Christ was a martyr. Could you say this? He was a martyr. God hasn't come in yet. Until noon time, God came in. 
God came in with darkness. You know, darkness was always a sign of something sinful to be judged. It was in these three hours that God put all our sins upon him. He was considered by God as a sinner, as our substitute. You see, he was a martyr in the first three hours under human hands, persecuting him, mocking him, blaspheming him. But in the last three hours, he was our redeemer under God's hand to be judged. Bill, I think this is an aspect of uh, the Lord's crucifixion, his death particularly, that most people are not aware of or maybe have not thought that much about. But it's very significant, isn't it, that what was happening during these first three hours from 9 a.m. until noon, much different than what happened from noon until 3 p.m. when he was removed from the cross. Talk about these two aspects. I think this is critical. Right, Chris. This is very, very significant when you see the difference from the first three hours from the last three hours, you see two points. Number one, you see martyrdom in the first three hours by man. Man did everything they could to the Lord to mock him, persecute him, judge him, condemn him, revile him, because during that period of time, he was just doing God's will. But that was man's doing. God still has to do something. Man can do his part, but that's only martyrdom. But God has to come in and do something for his eternal economy, and that involves this matter of redemption. There's like three matters involved with redemption. Number one, you have substitution, where the Lord there is a substitute for all the sinners. He died there a substitutionary death. We should have died. We should have borne that judgment, but he took that judgment for us in substitution. Number two, he took away all of our sins, everything that man commits, all of our unrighteous deeds and everything. They were piled up on the Lord, and he bore those. Not only so, he became a unique sinner there in God's eyes, and that's different from the sins that we commit. The sinner being the very person, the very nature, the very one that is a unique sinner. We sin because we're sinners. And the third point there, he has to die as a unique sinner for every human being. So in that sense, you have substitution, you have taking away our sins, and you have dying for the unique sinner there, uh, all represented there by the, uh, the Lord's last three hours of dying for redemption. It really explains this matter of darkness, I'm sure. Uh, I remember as a young person, even before I, I really accepted the Lord and believed, I always puzzled at this expression that he utters, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why does it turn dark in the middle of the day? Hey. Now, I think we begin to realize uh, he utters that famous phrase, why have you forsaken me? At that point, this right. last three-hour period, when God had accounted him in our place, mm-hmm. and as you said, piled on, I like that phrase, it's, it's very graphic, all of the sins of mankind. Right. And as the righteous God, he had to turn away mm-hmm. uh, right, for him right. Uh, to fully receive the judgment that was honestly our portion. Right. At that particular point in time, 
God had to forsake Christ, and we use the word economically, not losing his divine nature, anything like that, but temporarily God had to reject Christ because at that moment God piled all the sins upon the Lord and the Lord was judged. Of course, darkness is a kind of judgment. So at that point, darkness came in because God was judging Christ in our stead. And of course, in Second Corinthians 5, it says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become God's righteousness in him. Okay, let's continue reading, Bill, at verse 37. We're now at the end of this six-hour period. And Jesus let out a loud cry and expired. And the veil of the temple was split in two from top to bottom, and the centurion standing by opposite him, seeing that he expired in this way, said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. And there were also some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary the Magdalene, and Mary the mother of the younger James, and of Joseph, and Salome, who, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered to him, as well as many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Bill, this account in Mark particularly highlights this matter of these these women, these sisters, who were Mm. uh, very much uh, observing and taking in all that was going on. Right. All right, here's Witness Lee once again. Verse 37, But Jesus, letting out a loud cry, expired. That means his breathing stopped. Then verse 38, And the veil, listen, of the temple was torn into two from top to bottom. This was God doing. You know, the uh, temple was 20 uh, cubit high. It's quite high. No man can, can tear such a veil from the top to the bottom. It was God doing. God tore it. Why? Because that will was a sign of the flesh that Christ put upon himself. In other words, the humanity Christ put on was crucified. You see, if you read the Bible carefully, you could see on that veil, the cherubim were embroidered. On that veil, there was embroidery of some cherubim. And these cherubim were signs of the creatures. That means all the creatures are on the humanity of Jesus. Could you follow me? Jesus put on our humanity, and that humanity bears all the creatures. And this was a strong ground when Christ crucified his humanity. He terminated all the creatures. Bill, I love this point. Even on a few occasions, I would like to use these verses uh, in preaching the gospel, especially to young people, this matter of the veil in the temple being rent or being torn from top to bottom Mm -hmm. at the precise moment when Jesus expires, when his uh, life is completely gone. Uh, Talk about how significant this is. Right, Chris. As Brother Lee said, the temple is like 20 cubits high. That's equivalent to about 35 feet. There's no way a human being can do that. So we know God had to do that. The veil, if you look at the book of Hebrews, the veil is the Lord's flesh. And as soon as the Lord died, the veil of the Lord's flesh was torn. That means it was crucified. So that now everything that 
was involved in the Lord's flesh. You have, you know, John tells us the Word became flesh. And, of course, flesh is like a negative thing. But Romans 8 tells us that God sending his own Son in the likeness of the flesh of sin. That means the, the, when the Lord put on the humanity, he put on the humanity of the old creation. It was involved with the old creation. It was involved with sin. It was involved with Satan, but without the element and substance and nature of sin and Satan so that he could put that on, bring it to the cross, crucify it, and so everything involved with that flesh was crucified with the Lord in his humanity. The old creation, Satan, the serpent, the old man, the ordinances, everything was terminated here, indicated by the cherubim, which is a type of God's creation. They're embroidered on that veil, so everything involved with the Lord's humanity was crucified so that the Lord could bring forth a new creation in resurrection. Of course, Bill, the history of the veil uh, dates back to the originally the tabernacle, and then right. it was carried forward into the temple, temple. and that separated these two chambers inside mm-hmm. uh, the tabernacle or the temple. Of course, in, uh, in that separation, there was the separation of man from God's presence. God's right. presence was contained in uh, the Holy of Holies. Holies. Uh, man was kept out for the most part on the other side in the holy place, mm-hmm. uh, and the separation between these two was this veil. So the veil represents everything about mankind, which is his flesh, that right. keeps him separate from God. That's right. So the tearing of the veil really is the removal of this barrier, this separating curtain between man and God's presence. Because of what Christ accomplished in his eternal redemption, there's no longer a separating barrier, is there? That's right. Before this death of Christ on the cross, uh, man and God could not be one because of the sin that the Lord took care of. But now that the flesh has been uh, rent, the humanity has been crucified. Now man can enter into the presence of God, not once a year <laughs> like the high priest could do. Only one person can do it once a year on the Day of Atonement. But now every moment, every day, Chris, any believer can come right to Christ because of the death of Christ. Wow. All right, let's go back to Witness Lee for our last portion. And the centurion, that is the... Uh captain of the uh, Roman soldier, standing by opposite him, seeing how he expired, said, truly this man was God's son. He realized this man was not an ordinary man. He must be God's son. And there were also women looking on from a distance. A group of sisters uh, was standing there. And when evening had already come, this was the evening of the Friday, which was the Passover day. Now, the evening comes, that means the Sabbath begins. Joseph, the one from Aramesia, an honorable member of the council, who was also himself awaiting the kingdom of God, went in to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he granted the corpse to Joseph. And having purchased a piece of linen, he took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. This was an excellent burial of Lord Jesus. You have to know when he expired, 
all the things accomplished. No more suffering. So a rich man came and uh, buried him with all things new. The linen was newly bought, and the uh, tomb was newly hewn out of the rock. Everything was new. So the Lord Jesus was put here to rest, to enjoy his Sabbath. You see, God created the old creation within six days. On the seventh day, he rested. He has accomplished his full redemptive work within six days, and then he also rested on the seventh day, the Sabbath. Verse 47 says, And Mary the Magdalene, and Mary the mother of Hoses, that means the mother of the Lord Jesus, beheld where he was laid. Hallelujah. Everything has been accomplished. All of us have to go and rest. But you need a vision. If you don't have the vision, like Peter and so forth, they were bothered to death. Jesus was uh, lying there resting, but not Peter and the others. I even doubt whether these two Marys had some rest. I doubt. I do believe until the day of resurrection plus the day of Pentecost, they didn't have much rest. But hallelujah, when the day of resurrection came plus the day of Pentecost, they got the all-inclusive spirit. And the all-inclusive spirit had applied all these happenings to their life. By that time, they realized what was the Lord's death, what was his burial, and what was his resurrection. Bill, that's a wonderful point. Uh, of course, Sabbath means the day of rest. And in the Jewish uh, calendar, since we were talking about it earlier, the day really ended at 6 p.m. So uh, the day of the Lord's crucifixion was the Passover day, our Friday. Mm-hmm. It ends at 6 p.m. By now, he's been taken down off the cross. Right. He's laid in this freshly hewn tomb with mm-hmm. these fresh new linen garments, really a proper uh, honorable burial for the one who had no honor when he was alive on the earth. Right. And he enters into his Sabbath, which begins at 6 p.m. that evening. But it wasn't for some time that the uh, disciples and the lovers of him really entered into their Sabbath, was it? That's right. Of course, the Lord, he had to be taken down from the cross before the uh, Sabbath day would begin. That would be at 6 o'clock that evening. Although his death was very shameful, according to man, dishonorable, yet his burial was very honorable. He has new linen garments. He was buried in a brand-new rock-hewn tomb. So in that sense, that was quite honorable. And as you said, it was was a real Sabbath. In a sense, at the very end of his life, you think it's very sorrowful, very serious. We lost such a one. But on the other hand, the Lord entered into his rest because he accomplished everything God intended and instructed him to do. He accomplished an all-inclusive redemption, redeeming the whole human race back to God. And as Brother Lee mentioned, the two aspects, the Lord's resurrection, which was just three days later, and then he mentioned 50 days after that, the Lord's 
uh, coming down upon them at Pentecost. And in John 20, where it mentions the Lord's resurrection, he came to them in the evening and breathed into them and breathed his very life element and nature into them to give them the divine birth. Then, of course, we know 50 days later, the economical spirit or the spirit of power came upon them to uh, equip them, to enable them to spread the gospel and, and minister this Christ. So not until they receive the Lord essentially in John 20 and economically in Acts chapter 2 did they have the real rest, the real Sabbath within them. And that be- remains our Sabbath uh, even today, doesn't right. it? When we really enter into the reality of all that's included in the life-giving spirit filling right. us within and being uh, uh, clothed from without by the economical spirit, the spirit of power, right. then our life becomes a kind of a continual Sabbath, a, a, a living, a Christian living right. of rest. Uh, we're no longer in anguish over our situation. That's right. So we, we have a full rest, just like the Lord did, right? Once we realize that the Lord accomplished everything, there's nothing else, right, Chris, for us to do. We can't save ourselves. We can't do this. We can't do that. We just need to enter into what the Lord has accomplished in his redemption and also join ourselves to the Lord's resurrection. Then we have the full rest. We have the full Sabbath. Oh, I'd love to linger here longer, Bill. We, uh, we just have so little time to try to touch... Uh, such deep and rich content that's given to us provided in these life study messages we hope you'll contact us we'd love to see you get the printed volumes yourself so that you can linger over them and really muse and get into the verses and pray over these matters this is a uh, so beneficial to our christian experience we really highly recommend if you'd like to find out about how you can get the printed volumes call us toll free 1-888-LIFE-STUDY 888-543-3788 for Bill Lawson, I'm Chris Wild. Thanks very much for listening today. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee spent seven decades in the 20th century speaking Christ, first in Asia and then North America, eventually all over the world. The culmination of those 70 years of ministry was his Life Study of the Bible, an exhaustive exposition of the entire scriptures. This unique commentary focuses on how Christ can be life to man in an experiential and practical way. These programs encapsulate Witnessly speaking in just 26 minutes. But to get the complete riches, visit lifestudy.com. From there you can read all of the Life Study messages in their entirety or download any of our more than 1,700 audio programs at no cost. Again, that website is lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening. What is the Word of Life? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we beheld and our hands handled, concerning the Word of Life. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. This is the Word mentioned in John 1.1. 1, 1. 
who was with God and was God in eternity before creation, who became flesh in time and in whom is life. This word is the divine person of Christ as an account, a definition, and an expression of all that God is. In him is life, and he is life. Scripture, 1 John 1.1, and commentary from the New Testament Recovery Version published by Living Stream Ministry. For more information, visit lsm.org.